Okay. It is on. It is on. Hallelujah. Do you want to say something or do you want me just to? Amen. Glory to God. So um, I always like to pray um, with God when I'm going to sit with people and try and just kind of feel what he would want to say um, and what might be on his mind. And um, we can always talk about anything that you guys want because I love just sitting in a room and talking with people about what they want to talk about and letting them ask questions. But um, what really what really got came on my, my heart to begin with was communion and that it might be good to come together and take communion tonight together and uh, just talk about what communion is a little bit and just see what, what that brings up. What do you guys think? What do you think? No, after. We'll do it after. I mean, we'll be doing it the whole time during. Um, because co communion, yes, we take physical elements, and there's nothing wrong with taking the physical elements, but communion is, is something that happens in the heart. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to have the physical elements to actually take communion. You can take communion with God just by discerning the Lord's body, which is what communion is all about. It's about discerning the Lord's body. It's about remembering what it is you're part partaking of, right, through Jesus Christ. Because we're partaking of something through Jesus. And when we come together and take communion, it's not, well, we took the cracker or we took the bread and we drank the wine or had the grape juice. We're remembering what it is we part have partaken of in Jesus Christ. Um, and I know in my own life, I got so used to just taking communion as if it was some elements that I kind of forgot what it was all about. And in forgetting what it was all about and just taking the elements, it wasn't having the effect that it could have been having in my life, right? Because it's a powerful thing that we're partaking of in Jesus Christ. And there's like a, a, a significant depth to it that will sustain your life as you walk in this world all the days of your life, right? It will keep you. It will keep your heart. It will keep your mind. It will keep your body. It will keep you from stress. It will keep you from fear. It will keep you from panic, from torment from weakness, it will just keep you um, upright and filled with peace and love and joy. Um, and so it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I've been twisting on this a lot lately. And I do think it's for you guys. But at any point, someone can jump in and we could switch right into Q&A. So I can switch gears real quickly. 
Um, but I didn't preach anything about communion in Ireland. And so it makes me think that it must be for here because I'm really into this right now. I was really praying a lot about this. Um, we'll just start with, with, we'll read these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29 and 30. He that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks condemnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Okay? So they're eating and they're drinking, so they're taking the physical elements. But it says it's not really having an effect on them. The reason it's not having an effect on them is because they're not discerning what they're partaking of or what they're re supposed to be remembering when they take it. Right? And then it goes on to say, For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Because they're not discerning the Lord's body, because they're not remembering what it is they've actually partaken of through the body and blood of Jesus, what's happened that many of them have become weakly and sick, right? And many sleep. Now, weakly and sick is not just talking about, um, oh, you guys have to forgive me one second. I don't think I hit record. <laughs> I sure did I let's see I think I did well I don't know weak and sickly is not just talking about well you have a, a physical ailment it's not just talking about like my mom got diagnosed with cancer like eight or nine months ago. So it's not just talking about, well, you have a cancer. Weak and sickly is talking about what happens to a person when their heart is stung by fear. Their heart is filled or stung with fear and they feel stressed out. They feel a heavy burden upon themselves. They're taken from rest, right? They're not at rest. They're beholding themselves and they're thinking they don't have what they need for a good life right? They don't have something they need for life. And because of that, they're taken from rest and they're laboring to try to gather life to themselves. Okay, so a good example, does, does everybody in here read the scriptures some? Okay, a good example of what weak and sickly could look like would look like uh, in Galatians when Paul talked about the works of the flesh, right? If you're filled with hatred or envy or gossiping or backbiting, are all those types of things. That could be an example of what weak and sickly looks like, right? And just so everybody has a, a background of what some of these things mean, the reason they're called the works of the flesh is because these are the things that come forth in a person's life when they're working their own strength to try to produce the fruit of God's life, okay? For, for, for an example with me, when I was a young kid, I had traumatic experience in my life. I didn't know how to cope with it. I didn't know how the gospel dealt with it. You could say I wasn't discerning the Lord's body, right? And so because I couldn't cope with it and I didn't see how God could give me peace, I started trying to give myself peace, okay? Do you know what happened when I started trying to give myself peace? I became a drug addict, okay? Because I looked to my own strength to give myself peace not discerning the Lord's body and what I had partaken of in Him because that would have served me with peace. That took me from rest, and so I was laboring, looking to my own strength. I was working my own flesh to try to produce the fruit of God's life. That's why it's called the works of the flesh. Okay, It's what comes forth from you when you're working the strength of the flesh to try to produce the fruit of God's life. Okay? 
Does, does that make sense? So that, that's a picture of what weak and sickly could look like, all right? It could be a heart filled with fear, which would be the first step. Your heart could be filled with fear. You, you could be carrying the cares of the world. You guys notice when Jesus talked about the parable of the sower sowing the seed, right? And he said one of the things that could happen to the heart is that the power of the word to produce the fruit of the Spirit could be choked out because of the cares of the world. You're carrying the cares of the world. We just went through COVID. How many of y'all felt some cares? How many of you felt some burdens? Right? That could be a symptom of weak and sickly. Right? And as we were all feeling weak and sickly, the gospel would have been designed to keep us from that. It would have been designed for us to be kept from feeling weak and sickly, overburdened, overcared, filled with fear. And the way it would have done it is it would have come and discerned the Lord's body for us. And we could have been partaking of the Lord's body or remembering what it means that we've partaken of the body and blood of Jesus. You guys following that so far? So Paul says these guys are coming together. They're taking the physical elements, but they're not even discerning what it's about. And because of that, it's not having an effect on them. It's not putting them to rest. It's not purifying their heart from fear. It's not producing peace in them. It's not lifting the cares of this world off of them, right? They're carrying the cares of the world. They're living as if they don't have all things that pertain to life and godliness. They're living trying to gather life to themselves. And because of that, they're weak and sickly, filled with the works of the flesh, right? Filled with fear. And some of them have even fallen asleep. And you might think, well, how could you be falling asleep? Because you're not discerning the Lord's body. Well, when I became a drug addict trying to give myself peace, I ended up dead on a hospital bed, mm-hmm. right? And had to be paddled, electro-paddled back to, to life like nine times because I flatlined, right? I wasn't discerning the Lord's body. I needed peace. The cares of this world had come upon me, but I wasn't discerning what I had partaken of in the body and blood of Jesus. And so that left me in a place where I was even about to fall asleep. You guys following that? Does that make sense? Now, something that I think people forget about what communion is, Jesus, this isn't some new thing Jesus created, right? When, when, he started, when he had the Last Supper and he's having communion with the disciples, this isn't some new thing he dreamt up. Right? It's not like there's no reference point for this, and now he just does it. Right? Because when they did the Last Supper, it was Passover. Okay, It was the Passover. And so they were actually celebrating Passover, and they were partaking in the Lamb. Right? That's what you would remember the Passover. You're partaking in the Lamb, you're partaking of the meat of the Lamb, and you're remembering the blood of the Lamb that was put on the doorpost. Okay? So that's Jesus' reference point. I say that because it can help us understand what communion is trying to declare to us if we see those two things connect, okay? It can help fill out the picture. So Jesus is talking about the Passover. They're remembering something very specific with the Passover. And he says, from now on, when you guys think of the Passover, you're not going to be remembering that lamb that was offered before the Exodus. You're not going to be remembering the blood of that lamb or the body of that lamb being broken. For now on, when we do this, we're going to be remembering me. Okay? And what it was declaring, what Jesus was trying to teach them is that which happened in Egypt in the Exodus is just a a sign of what was to come in me. Okay? And he was trying to tell them, I'm the lamb. 
right? The, God provided me as the lamb so my body could be broken and so my blood could be shed so a greater Passover could occur than the one that even happened in the Exodus, right? That's what he's talking about. So the reason why I say that is because it starts to give shape to what communion is about when you connect it to the Passover. So during the Passover, what passed over them? Death. Death passed over them. Okay, so when they came together, they were celebrating that death had passed over them because it was the messenger of death, the angel of death. And they were celebrating that God had caused that death to pass over them through this lamb, right? And when they, were, when they would have the Passover dinner, what they would do is they were remembering how they, they roasted the lamb, they ate the, the meat of the lamb. Remember Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh right, and drink my blood, you have no part of me. He also said that his flesh was meat indeed. And so when they had the lamb and they put the blood on the doorpost, it was declaring something to that angel of death. It was preaching a word to that angel of death, and it was saying something. And if you read in Paul's context in, in the Corinthian letter, right down from when he talks about discerning the Lord's body, he says every time we take communion, we do show forth the Lord's death till he comes back. When he says we do show forth the Lord's death till he comes back, what he's saying is, is we are declaring the Lord's death until he comes back, right? That's what we're talking about. Now, but what does the Lord's death declare? Right? And if you look at the Exodus, that lamb declared something. And what it declared is, is that they were joining themselves to God and in joining themselves to God, because God's the one who provided the lamb. As everybody know, Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb. So God provided the Israelites, the Hebrews, with this lamb. And if they partook of this lamb by eating its meat, and putting its blood, that was declaring that they were one with God. And now God himself had joined himself to them and came and dwelled with them in their house. And the reason he came to dwell with them in their house was to cause death to pass over them, right? To cause death to pass over them. Does that make sense? Are you guys following me? Okay, so in Jesus now being the lamb, the actual lamb that was provided by God, his body being broken, and his blood being shed, that was for the purpose of death passing over us. Okay? Does that make sense? You guys following that? So we'll, right before Paul gets into the communion, he talks uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7 and 8. For anybody that likes to write it down or read it for yourself, you can go read it. Paul's talking to the Corinthians, he says, Neither be ye idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Okay, so he talks about not being an idolater and he talks about not committing fornication. Okay, so he connects idolatry with fornication there. It's an interesting thing he does there. Right, because when we first, when I mean, just be honest. I, I talk all the time about the dictionary of our hearts. You guys know we all have a dictionary in our hearts. Mm -hmm. Like we have a vocabulary already developed, and so we already have an idea of what we think words mean. So when I come and say fornication, 
you guys already have a reference point for what you think that means. And what do you think it means? Speak up. <laughs> Don't wait to me. <laughs> what is it in Nederlands? Zeelander? Want ik weet niet zeker. Dat weet je best wel. Sorry. He's searching the Dutch word. Oh, yeah. Say, say, John. Okay, well, I'll just, I'll just go, I'll just go into it. So that, do they, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure I'm getting this right. Is there something down somewhere in Amsterdam called the Red Light District? Yes. Okay, so, well, I'm from New Orleans, right? We have something called Bourbon Street, okay? And, um... On Bourbon Street or in the red light district, that you could say there's a lot of fornication. Right? Okay. Now that's the 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 typical thought that comes to someone's head when they think of fornication. But that's not what Paul's talking about there. When he connects the idolatry with fornication. What he's saying is in those guys offering sacrifices to idols, because that's how you worshiped a god. You would bring sacrifices, and you would sacrifice the animals to those gods, and then you would eat from the animal the body and the blood. And when you ate the body and the blood that you offered to the god, you were declaring yourself to be one with that god. You were being intimate with that god and the life that god had in itself. What you were really coming and saying when you look at the ancient world is you were declaring yourself to be the image of that God. And that God was going to animate you with its life or the life that it had in itself. And so when you ate from the animal and drank from the blood, you were having intimacy with that God. You were essentially saying, I'm married to that God. I'm joined to this God. I'm one with that God. And I'm one with whatever life it has to give me. That's fornication, right? Physical intimacy. That's why he used that word. We know fornication as if a, a young man might go down to Bourbon Street, right, and lay with the prostitute or something. We might say that's fornication. But Paul's talking about being intimate with another God and the life that God has in itself. You guys follow me? Okay. Now, there's, they, I don't know about here, but in the States when they have a, a, a wet wedding ceremony, Many times they'll have communion at the wedding ceremony where the, the husband and the wife take communion together or the bride and the groom during the ceremony, they take communion together. The reason they partake of communion is because they're declaring that they're becoming one flesh. The two shall be made one, right? And in them having communion, drinking the cup and eating the bread, it's saying we're no longer two, but we're one now right? We're coming together in intimacy. We're going to be so close. We're going to be so intimate that we're one, right? That's what communion is talking about in the wedding ceremony. So Paul comes and tells those guys not to be like the idolaters and not to be fornicating or eating the meat or worshiping the other idols, right? You guys following me? Is anybody lost? Because if you're lost, you can ask a question now, right? If anybody's, and it, it's easy to be lost. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It could be me. I'm not Dutch, right? So don't feel like I'm supposed to know this and I don't want to say anything, right? You can be out with it. You could say, you don't make any sense, man. And I'll be okay with that. 
You can say what you want. You can follow it. We're, I'm not here so I can feel good about myself, right? So I don't need to feel like I did a good job. And so if you're not, I'm only here so that we can talk about something and wrestle with it together, right? So please, at any point, tell me that makes no sense to me. The people in my church, that's what they do. We have that understanding, okay? So at any point, jump in like that. Okay. So that was the whole idea behind offering a sacrifice to a God. You would partake of it, and you were declaring yourself to be one flesh or one body with that God. Now, these gods in the world, they demanded sacrifices, right? They, you had to bring the sacrifice that you would offer, and then you would partake of that. But God, he's not like the gods in this world. God provided a lamb. And really what Abraham says is God provided himself as the lamb. Right? And if you look in the scriptures, Jesus said that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Right? And so what God is saying there is, I'm not looking for a sacrifice from you. I'm filled with mercy because it bothers me to see you suffering at the hands of the tribulation in the world. It bothers me to see your heart being filled with fear from things like COVID, from things like corrupt governments, from things like war. It bothers me to see your heart getting weak. It bothers me to see your peace being stolen, to see your rest being taken. And so because I'm filled with mercy when I see you doing that, I'm going to come and provide a lamb. And oh, by the way, I'm I'm going to provide myself as the lamb. I'm going to offer up my own body to be broken for you. So you can partake of me, partake of my body and my blood. And in partaking of the body and blood of Jesus, who is God, what we're declaring is that we're one with God. We're declaring that we're one with Him and the life He has in Himself. We're coming before God and we're acknowledging we are the image of God. And if we're the image of God, then we're here to be animated by His life, right? He's the one we're having intimacy with. We're having intimacy with Him and the life He has in Himself. That's what we're trying to remember when we're having communion, right? You guys following that? Okay. So Paul talks, let's see if I can just read the verse. Paul says, and for a reference point, for those of you that like the Scriptures, it was, an, it was kind of a challenging thing for me when, when God started showing me that he provided himself as the lamb because there was like a disconnect between him and Jesus for me, right? But if you read Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says God himself shed his blood. It says God shed his own blood. I had to read that a bunch of times over and over and over and over again because I had this idea that Jesus shed his blood but then I, somehow there was a disconnect when I thought about that Jesus is God. And something I realized in my life with God, I had no problem believing Jesus was God, his whole earthly ministry. Right? It says a child will be given to you, a son will be born unto you, you shall call his name Emmanuel, because he'll be Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Mighty God. Right? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? Paul said all things were created by Jesus, through which nothing that exists could exist outside of Jesus creating it. So I would have easily said Jesus is God, but then I realized at the cross somehow I no longer saw Jesus as God. 
Like somehow he all of, a, all of a sudden lost his godness in my mind. No, that's just a man now there, right? But Paul says that God shed his own blood to redeem us, right? God shed his own blood. And if the lamb, I mean, who provided the lamb? Did we provide the lamb or did God provide the lamb? Well, where did the lamb that God provide come from? Himself. It's his word. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, in God. The word was face to face with God. The word was God. That word took on human flesh. That's what it says. And the word was made flesh. So God prepared a body for his word so he could come into the earth and provide himself as a sacrifice for his people that were dying. For his people that were suffering at the hands of all the tribulation and calamity and bad things that were going on in the world. Because it so bothered God. God so loved the world. God was so bothered by the suffering and the fear that was tormenting the people in the world. That he prepared a body for his, his word to take on so that he could come and offer his own body up to be broken so he could shed his own blood so that we could partake with him in his life. And in partaking with him in his life, we could start being persuaded and we could start realizing and believing that we're one with him in his indestructible life. Right? Do you guys think God would be walking around in the world stressed out during COVID? What, have you at... We ought not, there's no shame in this, but God causes me to think about these things. I don't just go on, I think about it. Well, I start thinking about, well, why wouldn't God be stressed out in the earth? Because there's a reason why he wouldn't be. It isn't just that he's God and you're horrible. There's something about him, his makeup, that makes it to where he's not stressed out. There's something about God where he's always at peace. There's something about God where he's always at rest. And the thing about God that causes him to always be at rest is he's got a life that can't be overcome. He's got a life that can't be stolen from. It can't be added to. It's an incorruptible life. So even should he see corruption, that corruption can't produce fear in him because he sees inside of me is a life that even swallows corruption. Inside of me is a life that even heals death. I mean, God healed the death that came alive inside of Jesus' body, didn't he, when he raised him from the dead? Mm -hmm. He even conquered death inside of the flesh. That's because of the life he has in himself. And so when we say that we're partaking with God, and we're having intimacy with God. And when we take communion, we're declaring ourselves to be married to God. That doesn't just mean we had a nice wedding ceremony outside and we're wearing a white dress. Okay, ladies, you might be able to connect to that, right? And that might have an emotional moment for you where that really means something to you. But for like us guys, like I'm not trying to wear a white dress out there with God. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not connecting with that. Right? And so it's okay for you if you're connecting with that. But the point of saying that we're joined together with God, which is what a marriage is, the two shall become one. The whole point of us becoming one with God is that we could now have his life. Right? Not a lesser life, not three quarters of his life, not 25% of his life, the very life of God himself. Okay? Paul come and said in Romans 8 that we're heirs of God. God. So the communion, we, we're the kind of people that always need to be reminded what kind of life we have. 
and what it is that's animating us. Because we're living in a world that's all the time trying to tell us that our life is fragile. We even say it in our societies and in our circles. Life is so fragile. Do you guys say that here? We say that in the States all the time. And we say it like we're real smart and poetic when we say it. Life is so fragile. Is God's life fragile? So what is it that makes us think our life is fragile? I mean, I understand why the world thinks that. Because if they haven't partaken of the body and blood of the Lamb God provided, then they haven't been joined together with Him and His life. They're not one. They're not having intimacy with His indestructible life. But for the body of Christ, right, why would we say life is fragile? It's not because we're bad people. I promise you that. It's not because we're faithless. It's not because we're not good Christians. It's because we haven't been discerning the Lord's body. We haven't been remembering what it is Christianity is actually about. We've let it be turned into all these other sorts of things, right? And so we've become weak and sickly as the body of Christ in the earth because we're not discerning what it means that we partook of the body and blood of the lamb that God provided. We're not discerning what it means. We're not remembering the Passover. What passed over the Hebrews in the Exodus? Death. So God provided himself as the lamb so his body could be broken and his blood could be shed. And when we partake with him in his body and his blood, guess what happens? God comes and dwells inside of you. God. He doesn't come to dwell inside of you to be a freeloader. In, in, in college, we had some friends that would be down on their luck and would quit school and quit working. And then they would have nowhere to stay because their parents wouldn't let them back in the house because they're not in school anymore. Then go fend for yourself then. Go get a job. Well, then we'd let them sleep on the couch, and we would call them couch people, right? And we'd let them stay there while they were down on their luck till they got themselves together. They were like a freeloader. They didn't do any chores. They didn't help pay for rent. They didn't do anything. Well, God has made your body his temple, his house, by offering himself up, not so he could come and dwell in you and be a freeloader and not do any chores, but so in him dwelling inside of you, he could cause death to pass over you. Just like he caused death to pass over the Hebrews in the Exodus, right? Well, we're supposed to be reminded of that all the time. We're the kind of people that can forget very easily. And so we're supposed to be gathering together to be reminded of what it means that God himself has joined himself to us and that we're one flesh and we're one body with God in his indestructible life. And you think, well, what's an indestructible life? An indestructible life is the life you see that manifested in Jesus when he came out of the grave. Mm -hmm. Having a life with no spots and no blemishes, a sinless life. It says he could, his life could never be touched again by sin or death. That's the kind of life we're having. That's the kind of life that's inside of all of us right now. And we're forgetting that we have that kind of a life. And the reason we're forgetting we have that kind of a life is because we're not discerning the Lord's body or even what it meant that we even took communion. Do you know how long I've been a Christian? I've been a Christian since I was three. Do you realize only within the last couple years all this came together for me? Where I saw, oh my gosh. And I started realizing, we're not bad Christians. It's not that we're not as good as the Christians in the first century. It's just we're not remembering what they were remembering. We're not actually thinking about the things they thought about. When they got filled with the Holy Spirit, they weren't rejoicing that they could perform the gifts of the Spirit. 
That's not what they were excited about. It's nice to have the gifts of the Spirit because you can reach people and you can touch people's lives and you could show them the Father is with them to love their life. But when they got filled with the Holy Spirit, they were filled with boldness. And do you know why? Because they saw they had an incorruptible life now. They saw we're the temple of God. God himself has come to sup with us in our house. That, own, that means death has passed over us. Death has no hold on us. Death can't hurt our life. Our life is not fragile. This world can't take anything from our life. This world can't add anything to your life. If you have the life of God, I don't care what good thing you think you need, that can't add anything to your life because you've already inherited all of God. And the world is all the time trying to give you a different message. The, the messenger of death, the angel of death, that word angel means messenger. Do you know what it means to be a messenger of death? It means that death speaks something to us. It tries to tell us something. The tribulation in the world, it tries to tell us something. The calamity, the hard times that we experience in this world, the trauma, the harm that's happened to our lives. All of us, I can see, are old enough to have encountered trauma. All of us are old enough to have encountered hard times. Those things spoke to us, didn't they? They tried to tell us something. They tried to give a testimony, didn't it? And I, I can just discern all of your hearts right now. We might be able to put further language to it, but I tell you what they did. They accused you and they accused God. That's what the messenger of death comes to do. Do you know what it comes to tell you? You don't have what you need to have life. You're separated from something you need to have peace and love and joy. It's far from you. That's how it accuses you. And then it points at the death or the trauma. See, look. And we can see it's death. And so we know death is contrary to life. And so it makes sense to us. That's right, we're separated from life. Now all of a sudden we're starting to get weak and sickly. Now all of a sudden we're starting to be filled with fear and lack. Now all of a sudden we're feeling a heavy burden on ourselves. Right? We're starting to feel like we're orphans, like there isn't anybody with us to care for our life. We're starting to feel like we got to care for our own life. Where's God? Has any of you ever thought, where's God? Did any of you ever think, where's God when everything was going right? If we're all honest, the times we thought, where's God, were when things were going wrong and death was there. It's because death was trying to tell us God's not there, and it was trying to use the death to tell us we don't have life, and that's the evidence that God's not there. But God is inside of us. And even should we encounter death, that death can never be a sign that we're separated from life. It can never be a sign that something has been stolen from us. It could never be a sign that something's been taken from us. Because we have the kind of life that even should the world try to take from us, we have the kind of life that will even make what gets crooked straight. And when we're partaking of the body and blood of the Lamb, it's supposed to tell us that. And that's how it keeps our hearts from the messenger of Satan. That's how it keeps our hearts from the accusation. When the trauma comes and it tells us, look what happened. Look what was taken from you. Now you don't have what you need. Your life was stolen from. Now we partake of the body and the blood of the Lamb. And we think, I'm the temple of God. I see God's life even makes everything straight. I see God's life manifested in the body of Jesus and made all the sin and death and spots and blemishes in his body disappear. He was marred beyond recognition. And he came out of the grave shining with the glory of God. That life is in me. Nothing in this world can take from me, like Paul would come and say, nothing can separate me from the love of God. 
And that's what he was talking about because he was always discerning the Lord's body. He was always partaking and recognizing what it meant that he was partaking of the Lord's body. He was always being reminded that God himself is in me. And if God is in me, you don't just say God the person is in me, but you think of, well, what kind of life does God have? That life is in me. And that's what Paul says when he says, for every time we do gather together and partake of the body and blood of the Lord, we do show forth his death until he comes that word show forth means to declare it means that it's a word coming out of us towards something and do you know what it's coming out of us towards death it's coming out of our hearts to condemn the words or the judgments that the trauma tries to testify to us it actually condemns those words it actually rebukes those words you could say it this way it rebukes the devourer I mean, when we encounter trauma in hard times, it's almost like if, if our life is a house, it's almost like pestilence has come to our house. And uh, termites. And, and now it's, it's eating our house, right? That, that's what it feels. It's, it's like our house is being devoured. Our life is being devoured. We've all had hard times. We've all had things happen that we know aren't right. And in those moments, if we're honest, we feel like our life is being devoured, right? Well, when you partake of the body and blood of Jesus and you're remembering what it's really about and you're getting caught up with God and your union with God and what it means that you have his life inside of you and he's inside of you to cause death to pass over you and death can't overcome your house, it starts to work to guard your heart. And that word even starts rebuking the devourer. It starts rebuking the accuser of the brethren, which is the messenger of death. It starts rebuking the accusation that tries to come against your heart, that tries to tell you you don't have what you need for life, that tries to tell you something was taken from you and now you're separated from some good thing you need. Right? Do you know in the book of Revelation chapter 12, do you know what it says? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Who's the him that they overcame? The devil. And do you know what the devil is called right before that? The accuser of the brethren who accused us day and night. Do you know what he uses to accuse us? The trauma and the death and the tribulation. And he levels an accusation against our life. And he tells us you're separated from what you need for life. And then he uses that same trauma to accuse God in our hearts. Mm -hmm. Where's your God now if you really are his son? Where's your God now if you really are his daughter? How could this be upon you if he really loves you? Well, now we do show forth the Lord's death in the midst of that accusation by partaking in the body of the blood. Do you know what we're saying? You want to know where my God is? My God gave up his own body to be broken. That would, that's what it means that the lamb is our testimony. You want, when I hear that voice now, do you know what rises up in my heart? You want to know where my God is? My God actually put on a body so that he could take this death you're trying to accuse me with into his own self. 
so he could take that death into the ground. He gave up his body to be broken so his blood could be shed so that I could partake in his life and be joined together with him and so that I could come overcome every accusation and every assault you ever would commit against my life. My God's in me. That's how you overcome the death in your heart and in actuality. And now you're juiced. That's what I call it, juiced, <clears throat> strong, right? Now you're filled with boldness because now all of a sudden you're not, my life is fragile. Now all of a sudden, you're, this thing that was in Paul in Romans 8 has now manifested in you. Whether peril, whether shipwreck, whether famine, whether sword, whether starvation, nothing can separate me. That's why he said that. He said, how can any of those things work condemnation in me? And then he says, why? They can't. Because it's Christ who condemned death when he was raised from the dead. So those things are trying to tell me I'm separated from God's love, except I see God drew near to me in Jesus and conquered death in the flesh. So it rebukes that word. It rebukes the accusation. Let's see where we're at. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That word damnation there means condemnation, right? It's the word Paul used in Romans 8, where he says, There is therefore now no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the longest time, I thought that condemnation was that God condemned me because I was a bad boy. It's funny how we just read that into the text, right? Does everybody have a similar experience where that's where you just assume that it meant? Well, you know what's interesting is right before that, Paul says what it was that was working condemnation in him. And do you know what he says? Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall save me from this body of death? Right before that, he says, I see the fruit of God's life, and I agree that it's good to have life. But I see there's something dwelling in my members that when I don't think I have life and I try to produce the life that I say is good, I'm not able to produce the life. And when I try to produce the life, I even produce more death. I become weak and sickly, right? Just like he says in Corinthians. And he says, who shall save me from this body of death? Who shall save me from the condemnation I feel in my heart when I think I'm separated from life? When I don't see myself as having life? Who's going to save me from the accusation? Who's going to save me from the shame I feel when I see myself as separated from some good thing? Don't we all feel ashamed when we think we don't have life? Mm -hmm. What's wrong with me? You ever struggle with something in your life that you knew wasn't the fruit of the Spirit? Mm -hmm. And what's wrong with me? You ever felt that way? Who sh oh, wretched men that I am, who shall save me from this body of death? That's what Paul's talking about. He's describing what death did to his heart, made him feel ashamed, filled him with fear, and then how that fear caused him to try to produce the fruit of God's life himself. And then he says, but I recognize another law. I recognize there's a law in my members, a law that says when I try to engage my own strength, to produce the life I say is good, I'm not able to produce the life I say is good, but in fact, I'm producing more death, right? Who's going to save me from that, where I'm no longer looking to my own strength to produce life? Who's going to save me from that fear and that shame that I feel? Who's going to save me from what this body of death is doing to me? And then he says, I see that God has. 
right? I thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ, he says. And what he's talking about is how God gave up his own body to be broken so that Paul could have God dwell in him and cause death to pass over him. And now Paul no longer saw himself as separated from life, even when he was floating in the ocean and there's sharks nibbling at his feet. Even when he got stoned going into Galatia and left for dead, he never thought God wasn't there. He never thought he was separated from life. He never felt condemned by the death again. He never felt the accusation in his heart again because he was partaking with God in his life through the body and blood of Jesus. And now his heart began rebuking the accusation of the evil one, right? Because how can you tell somebody they don't have life if they have God? It doesn't make any sense. If I have God, in me, then how are you going to tell me I don't have something I need for life? Just intellectually speaking, this isn't a trick question, but listen, wouldn't we all agree if we have God, we have everything? Okay, so in the moments that we think we don't have something we need, do you know what we're forgetting? What it means that we have God. Do you know what we're needing to be reminded of? That God gave up his own body to be broken so we could partake with him in his life and we could be joined together one with him and that he's dwelling in our house. And we've forgotten what it is that's in us. And that's how we get weak and sickly when hard times come to our house trying to devour our house. You see? Life rebukes. Life gives a testimony also. That's why John called it the word of life. He says that which was from the beginning, which we have seen which we have handled, which we have touched, which we have held of the word of life. He goes on to talk about how that purifies the heart from fear. Because he's saying this life, just like death tries to give a testimony to you, death tries to testify about your life. It tries to tell you about your life. This is your life. Look at it. And it points at all the things in the world. But we're not one with the world. And if we're not one with the world, then how can we be one with the bad things that have happened to us in the world? How can we be one with the weakness that's tried to come upon our bodies? How can we be one with the tribulation in the earth if we're not one with the world? We have not partaken of the serpent. We have not partaken of his system of death. We've partaken of God and his lamb. It's so hard for us because we can see our lives so close to these things that have happened that we confuse ourselves as being one with that. I told my mom when she got that cancer, I come in immediately because I knew that the messenger of death was trying to come to her and tell her something about her life and God. And I immediately come to her and said, I don't care if that thing's in your body. You are not one flesh with cancer because that's what that thing's trying to tell you. It's trying to tell you that you're intimate with this cancer. I said, you're not intimate with the cancer. You're not intimate with the body of death. Because God gave up his own body to be broken to cleanse you from the body of death and so that his life could dwell in you. You're one flesh with God in his indestructible life. We think we're one with the things that happened to us. We see ourselves in the same likeness as what's happened to us, as the sicknesses we might have, the illnesses we might have, the things people have said to us, the things people have done to us. We confuse our lives with all those things. And we make ourselves one with the corruptible life. We make ourselves one with the life that the world has fathered and that the serpent has fathered. And then we wonder why we don't feel good. I'll tell you why we don't feel good. It doesn't feel nice to have a corruptible life. It's not nice to have a life that's fragile. It's not even nice for the animals to have a life that's fragile. But now take a human being, the image of God himself. We were never created to ever even see death. 
to ever even feel weakness. We were never created to ever be able to hear a negative word about our life. And now look at the world we're in. Do you know what kind of assault that tries to bring against our hearts? And so that's what it means that God's our God. We completely lose sight of what it means that He's our God. If He's our God, it would require that He would come and give up His own life to conquer the death that's warring against His people. And we see that He did that because He'd rather give up His own body to be broken than to let us have death come upon our lives. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, I think, God not willing that our sin would be imputed to us unwilling to allow the death that we earned by trusting in our own strength, unwilling to allow that to overcome our life, He came into the earth to prove once and for all that He is our God, that He is the God we need, because we need someone that can save us from death. And not just physical death in the body, we need someone that can protect our hearts from the word that the messenger of death tries to communicate to our hearts. And now He demonstrates clearly that He's our God by coming into the earth and warring against death in the body of Jesus Christ. And now He has completed the warfare. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. Tell them their warfare has been accomplished. Tell them the death that was speaking to them, telling them they were separated from life, that they were being overcome. Tell them that I've warred against that death and brought a plague to that death in the body of Jesus Christ. So that every time death comes knocking on their door to try to tell them they're separated from life, they can see that I have destroyed death in the body of Jesus Christ. And that will rebuke the accusation of the evil one. Right? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. <laughs> and we lose sight of all these things. We're 2,000 years later. We all know. Let's take communion. Let's take communion. None of us know why. We're, just, we're supposed to take it. We'll get as far as we can be healed if we take it. We still don't know why we're taking it, but we can be healed if we take it. Then we don't even know what the healing is. The healing first works itself out by purifying your heart from fear. Right? It, it strengthens you in the inner person, Paul would say. The way it strengthens you is it convinces you that you have a life that doesn't lack anything. The Lord is my shepherd, I do not lack. It convinces you you have a life that can't be overcome, can't be stolen from. It is so much that it has all things, it possesses all things, it, it swallows all things. I mean, the life you have in yourself created the whole universe. And that life comes and dwells in you, and it strengthens you in the inner man. And you start to believe that you lack nothing, that God has actually given you himself. So in the Catholic Church, the priest would say, you know, the body of Christ. God at the cross. Do you know what he's doing? He's offering you his body. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. And when we believe, on Jesus. We're partaking in His body and His blood, and we're partaking with Him in His life. We're seen, we're cleansed from death. Do you know why the blood was shed? It was to declare to us that He cleansed us from the body of death. He perfected our life from the death in the earth that we hate so bad once for all time. And that doesn't just mean physical death in the grave one day. It's Death is any time you feel that you don't have something you need for life that you're separated from some good thing you need for life. That's a symptom of death, right? I lack what I need for life. The messenger of death has come knocking on your door, and it's trying to fill your heart with fear, right? And when you see 
what God did in offering himself first purifies your heart from fear. Then it puts your flesh to rest. It heals your flesh. The healing of the flesh could manifest in sicknesses being healed. We pray for that all the time. But the primary healing of the flesh is that the flesh is healed from its labors. Mm -hmm. And because it's no more laboring to try to bring forth life itself, guess what doesn't come out of it? The works of the flesh. So it heals our lives from hatred, envy, gossiping, backbiting, all those things. Now it gives birth to peace and love and joy inside of us. Stress is removed from us. The cares of the world are removed from us. There's a whole lot of cares and anxieties that go along with trying to care for a perishable life. That's a lot of worries. My wife and I mess with each other in the States. We say, how you doing? And we were talking to each other one day. Really, we're asking, how's our death going? I mean, I'm just being honest. All of us that have probably some area of our life where we're dealing with some symptom of death, right? And we're in various stages of trying to cope with it, deal with it the best we know how. And so how's your death going? We're all busy with some form of death management, whether it be in our hearts, whether it be in our minds. We're all dealing with something someone said about us, something someone did to us, something that's happened to someone we love, some form of death management. We're all busy trying to deal with it. But God dealt with it. He did the only thing that could actually keep us from it. He did the only thing that could actually preserve our hearts from it. He did the only thing that could actually cause it to pass over us, that could actually preserve our hearts from it. That's the only thing that could be done. And he actually came and did it. But we've forgotten what he's done because we've made the gospel now about how we got to be good boys and girls and start behaving properly. God didn't create you so you could behave properly. That's not what he had in mind for you. What he had in mind for you is that you could share with him in his life and that you could live and never die and he could spend all his days loving you with all his heart, with all his soul, and all his strength. He's got so much more in his mind for you than you could behave properly. He's not like us. Even should we behave improperly, he understands the root is that death has stung our heart with fear. And now we're living as if we got to gather life to ourselves. And because we can't produce life, when we try to do that, the works of the flesh come out of us. So God doesn't judge us after the flesh. He sees the problem is death has stung our hearts. And he sees the solution is to come and convince us that he's come to give us an incorruptible life. So our hearts could be purified from fear and we'd stop laboring to give ourselves life. That's a whole lot of mouthfuls. But the sting of, Paul said the sting of death is sin. Okay, then that means the answer is to rub a bomb on someone's heart so that death isn't stinging it anymore. Well, you know, the only kind of bomb you can rub on someone's heart to heal it from the sting of death is a life that overcomes death. Is a life that will always tell the person when death comes to their house, this life will make everything straight. This life can't be stolen from. This life overcomes all things, has all things, possesses all things, believes all things, hopes all things. And that heals, puts you to rest. Jesus was at rest on the cross. Do you know why? Because he knew the Father was in him and he was in the Father. He knew, I have a life that overcomes death. In fact, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That's why he said Satan had nothing in him. He said, the prince of this world is going to come to me, and he has nothing in me. Do you, what did the prince of the world come to him with? The death, the message of death. 
Where's your God now? Look what's happening to you. But Jesus' heart was protected from the message of death because the word of life was in him. He is the word of life. And that word of life rebuked the message of death, right? And he wasn't weak and sickly. He was filled with love even on the cross. He was filled with so much love on the cross while he was dying at the hands of people that hated him that he actually cared more about their lives than his own. Who was weak and sickly? I promise you it wasn't him when he was nailed to the cross. It was those people that were crucifying him. He was even preferring their life over his own. Do you know why? Because he was convinced his life couldn't be stolen from. It can't be overcome. Right? Are you guys following all of that? Because I said a bunch of mouthfuls. This is communion. I, I looked online when I started tracking like this, and I couldn't even find it anywhere online. And I just thought, what? It grieved my heart for the body of Christ. Because I know a lot of, I mean, I've been a believer my whole life, and I think people in the body of Christ sincerely want to be free. They sincerely want to love God. They're sincere about all that, but then they find themselves in the place where they don't see that being worked out, right? And then they, they feel condemned. Again, that's the messenger of death. Look at your life. Look at what's going on, right? But it's because we haven't been busy with the same message the apostles were busy with. Our gatherings haven't been centered around the body and blood of Jesus and what that meant. I mean, we say that the blood of the new covenant. Do you know what the new covenant is? It's the testimony of God. Do you know what the blood declares to you? That God has loved you with an everlasting love. And His love is so much for you that He even shed His own blood to cause death to pass over you. That's the blood of the new covenant. The new covenant is a testimony. The word covenant means promise. It's not talking about deal making. God didn't come and make a deal so he could have a contract whereby now because of this contract, we know God will be nice to us. God doesn't need a contract to be nice to you. He's filled with everlasting kindness towards you. So much kindness towards you that while you, we were all ungodly and dead in sin, he even came into the world to give up his life for us, to demonstrate to us that his love is not fickle. His love is not based upon our behavior or what we could do for him. He's not thinking that we can be God. He's thinking he can be God. Do you even know what it means to be God? That's what God asked me. Do you even know what it means to be God, Greg? I can't actually say I'm your God unless I'm serving you. He's like, you've defined me by the pagan gods that demanded service to themselves, that demanded sacrifices to themselves, that they demanded to be appeased. I'm not the kinds of gods that this world has created. He said, a true God, a real God, the one that can win your heart, that can captivate your imagination, is the God that would come to lay down their life for you, that wouldn't demand a sacrifice from you. Sacrifices and offerings I never desired, God said. God's never desired anything from us. Paul says in Acts 17, God, who doesn't need to be worshipped by man's hands or the things they can do for him. God wanted to come into this earth and give up his own body to be broken to serve us with life. That's how you're somebody's God. You serve them with the life they need. You protect them from what can destroy their life. You protect them from what tries to harm their life. You uphold their heart. You uphold their life. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. They didn't wash his feet. God has everything. He doesn't need anything. He's trying to find someone that will let him give them everything. And the death that's coming into the world 
has spoken to all of us and caused us to think that God is despising us and caused us to despise ourselves. And it's got us trying to worship God by the things we can do for him. And so we're not partaking in what he's done for us. And that's causing us to be weak and sickly. Right? It's causing us to live in this world thinking we lack. Right? It's causing us to feel tormented by the trauma and the calamity that's come to our lives. Not seeing that he, we, we have a God. And that's what it says in Hebrews. I will write my law in their heart. And it says the purpose of that law will teach them that I am their God. And they will begin to live as my people. Do you know what the law he's talking about that I'll write on their heart? It isn't thou shalt and thou shalt not. The law he'll write on their heart is I will provide myself as a lamb to cleanse them from death. And when they see that I will provide myself as the lamb to cleanse them from death, they'll be persuaded that I'm their God. And they'll live as my people, meaning they'll let me serve them with life. That's what the whole context of Hebrews is about, about the, the once for all time sacrifice. How many times for all times? Once for all times. What does the author of Hebrews say? You've been cleansed. You've been perfected. You've been sanctified once for all time by the blood of the Lamb. Well, we were a people that hate death. I even met with a bunch of atheist girls, college-age girls in Switzerland, and they wanted to grill a Christian, right? Because they've been beat over their heads their whole lives by false Christianity. And I got together with them, and I was like, Lord, I don't want to argue with them about things. I want to identify with them. And you know where he took me? Start talking to them about death. And we went right into that. Do you know what every one of them agreed? They all hate death. Do you know what else they all agreed? No one had to tell them to hate death. They just hate it. They didn't take a class to learn they didn't like death. None of you took a class to teach you that the trauma that happened to you wasn't good. You knew while it was happening it wasn't good. Inherently, you knew. Why? Why did you know inherently? Because death is the enemy. Death is the enemy of God. We know death is the enemy. And when we see God come and slay the giant that's death, that's the giant, death. Goliath was a picture of death. When we see him come and slay the giant that was always uncovering our nakedness, always accusing us, always filling us with fear and shame, and we see that the way he did it is that fantastic that he came and stood in the face of it and let it come all over him. When we see the suffering that God went through, the anguish the, that he allowed this to come upon him, that he made himself vulnerable to us, he humbled himself and submitted himself to the death that was tormenting his people so he could stand up out of the grave once for all and show his people that he's greater than death, that he has a life that's stronger than death, and we could be like, oh my goodness. The giant slayed. It's like the Wizard of Oz. Ding dong, the witch is dead, the witch is dead. Ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. Do you see all the, the munchkins, right? The lollipop kids? Do you see how happy they are when the wicked witch was dead? That's what God come to show us about death. When he offered up his own body and killed death in the resurrection. He nailed death to a cross. He put death on death row. He issued a sentence against death so that we could hear the decree that death is perishing. Your life isn't perishing. Death is perishing. Death is decaying. Death is breathing its last breath. It has no hold on you. Death does not have eternal life. When you see that, you start to think, Abba, right? 
And then you start living as his people. Who's his people? His people are those who see he's with them to provide them the food for life. It says you prepare a table for me in the midst of the enemies. Mm -hmm. We prepare the table for God or God prepares a table for us, it says. Right, but we got ourselves the need to prepare the table. Mm -hmm. But God's the one who prepares the table. And that will offend the natural mind. It will. It will. It offended me. God will provide himself as the lamb. Abraham, do you know what Abraham ended up saying? Paul describes Abraham and he said, Abraham considered not the deadness he saw in himself or the deadness he saw in Sarah's womb, but he glorified God. Do you see what it's saying there? Well, Abraham saw deadness in his body. He saw deadness in Sarah. But then God came and said, I am the almighty God. And Abe was like, whoa, this dude can even conquer death in the flesh. That's why Hebrews uh, records Abraham saying God can even raise the dead. And so Abraham, when he saw that God, that's what it means to be almighty. I have a life in myself that even makes death bow down which is what the apostles were walking around doing. They were witnesses of the resurrection, witnesses of a life that even makes death bow down, witnesses of a life that bullies death. That's what Abraham saw when the Almighty God, oh, God God can conquer death in the flesh. So he stopped considering the deadness he saw in his life, and he started considering the life of God. Do you see what happened there? He started partaking with God in God's life, and that rebuked the accusation that death was speaking against him and Sarah. How can you be the father of many nations? Look at you. That's what the whole of the scripture is about. That's what we're supposed to be remembering. It's a real simple thing, actually. Everything that ails your life finds its roots in death. Everything. The solution is for you to start sitting with Abba and having him him unwrap what it means that he gave you his indestructible life. And even if you have to start with, I don't understand how that helps me. That's the start. I mean, that's how I started most of my talk. I don't, I don't, I believe I don't get it though. I'm telling you, that's the foundation from great revelation. Because it's the beginning of the wisdom is fear, the fear of the Lord. That doesn't mean to be afraid of the Lord. It means to stand in awe of Him. It means to submit yourself unto what you see there. Give yourself over into His arms. Lord, show me. Do you guys see that about death, how it tries to speak to you? Jesus says, or the, the, Jesus said that the voice of the stranger, my sheep know my voice, and the voice of the stranger they do not know. Right? Well, we hadn't really been taught his voice. We've been talking about it tonight. Do you know what his voice is? I am the resurrection and the life. In me is a life that makes all things that got crooked straight. In me is a life that swallows death and darkness. In me is a life that can't be stolen from or, or added to. In me is a life that is so much that it will manifest, that nothing can keep it from manifesting. In me is a life that fills all the waste places, that fills all the dry places, that saturates all the dry places with life. In me is a life that consumes all death and all darkness. 
That's the voice of the good shepherd. Right? What's the voice of the stranger? You're separated from what you need to have life. You don't have something you need for life and godliness. You come behind in some good thing you need to have peace. You don't have, look at what's going on in your life. Where's your God now? All the time using death. That's how Satan tempts us. He doesn't tempt us to do bad things. The bad things are the fruit of having already succumbed to the temptation. He tempts us to believe we don't have what we need for life. Because if we believe that, you know what's going to happen? We're going to try to satisfy the lack that we feel ourselves. After we try to satisfy the lack we feel ourselves, do you know what comes forth? The works of the flesh. Then we define the works of the flesh as the temptation. No, no, no. That's the result of having long since been tempted. And we're so deceived that we don't even see how he tries to tempt us. And then we feel horrible about ourselves after these things happen. We condemn ourselves all over again. That condemnation never came from God. It came from the body of death. God was never the accuser. It wasn't God that stood next to the woman caught in the act of adultery in the temple and accused the woman, was it? It was the Pharisees. Didn't Jesus say, you're of your father, the devil? So who was it that was accusing the woman? The devil. And wasn't there a sentence of death hanging over her? Well, there's an interesting dynamic there because there's God. Because that's the Gospel of John. And Jesus it begins with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. So we could behold the glory of the Father. There's the Father standing in the temple. And there's a bunch of people that are so blind, they think the Father's the accuser. They think the Father's the thief that steals, kills, and destroys. They think the Father's the punisher. And then the Father, what does He do? He removes the death. He removes the accusation. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what the body and blood is. It's a very specific thing. We're partaking. We're saying we're the image of God. And because we're the image of God, then it's going to be by His doing, we're going to be animated with life. And He has done something to animate us with life. He's given up His own body to be broken, and He shed His own blood. Right, And now, every time we take communion, that's what we're remembering. And we're speaking the word of life against the testimony of death in this earth. It starts dwelling in our hearts and echoing in our hearts, protecting our hearts. You don't guard your own heart. In the Hebrew, it's a passive action. What it means is you see something, and what you see guards your heart. That's what it means. Well, eternal life will guard your heart. An incorruptible life will guard your heart. We just haven't really been beholding that. What do you guys think? Does that make sense? Are you guys following, following that? That's what our gatherings are supposed to be centered around. That's the exhort, being exhorted unto love. You're being exhorted unto the love of God, right? And the love of God isn't just a fuzzy feeling, right? God loved you so much, He poured out of Himself His own life so that that life could dwell in you and keep you, just like He came and dwelled with the Hebrews and caused death to pass over. So when you think about God loves you, you want to make the connection to He's given me of Himself His incorruptible life. 
He's actually satisfied my desire for life because that's the only thing that can satisfy my desire for life because we're all desiring a perfect life. Just be honest. We all want a perfect life, a life that can't be harmed, a life that can't be touched by what goes on bad around us. And we do so many things to try to build our life up in a way to where it can be protected from all the bad that can happen. Well, He come and did the only thing that can actually do that. And that's why he, we know He loves us, right? And now our life in the gospel isn't about what we can do. It's not about trying to make ourselves fruitful. It's not about trying to clean ourselves up. It's about gathering together and beholding the life of His Lamb and how He gave His own body up to be broken, because that will give us the nutrients we need to where we won't be weak and sickly, right? We won't be walking in the condemnation. When He says they drink unto themselves condemnation, what are they drinking unto themselves? Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall save me from this body of death? Every time they encounter tribulation. That's the condemnation. Do you see? It was never God condemning us. The Pharisees were the one condemning the woman, not God. We were dwelling in darkness because of the death, the valley of the shadow of death, the shadow, the darkness. Behold, a great light has shined in the midst of the people dwelling in darkness. You could say, behold, the life of God has shined in the midst of a people that were dwelling in death. John even said it that way. In Jesus was life, and the life is the light of man. <laughs> Did I miss any of the verses about communion? I think I, I think I went around it. I was trying to connect the messenger of death, and, and I... I'll just say, I mean, is there some things you wish that I wouldn't say? Or do you want me just to be out with it? You wouldn't say? Well, I mean, I don't want to offend yeah. anybody, you know, the first night. Maybe they won't come back. <laughs> I'll wait till the last night to offend you when I'm leaving. No. The, 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 the angel of death. belief system that you offend. Yes, yes. The, 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 and I only say this to you because, because I love your life and so does God. Mm -hmm. The angel of death in the Exodus didn't come from God. Paul come and describe the destroyer as Satan mm -hmm. in his letter, right? And when you look in the Exodus, all the plagues that came, none of those plagues came from God. If you look at the beginning of the Exodus, it said that God judged the gods of Egypt. Mm -hmm. He didn't judge the Egyptians. He judged the gods of Egypt. Well, how do you judge the gods of Egypt? Do you know how he judged the gods of Egypt? He came and said, those gods can't give you life. Those gods only have death in themselves to give you. All he did was declare the truth. And then the plagues happened. Do you know each one of the plagues coincided with one of the gods that the Egyptians were worshiping? Every single one of the plagues was uh, coinciding with one of the gods they worshiped. And do you know how they were worshiping those gods? They were sacrificing things to them and eating the meat and drinking the blood thus declaring themselves to be one with those gods. And that's why the plague those gods had to give came upon them because they were partaking with those gods in their death. They even had a god called the god of the firstborn. Wasn't it the firstborn in Egypt that died? The gift God has to give is eternal life. The gift God has to give is himself. And he did. He gave the Hebrews a lamb. 
the Lamb was Himself. And in them partaking of the Lamb, they were declaring that they would be joined together with Him in His life. In Him is a life that causes the angel of death to pass over you. God is actually good. <laughs> and you can read those verses Paul writes in Corinthians. You can be very stressed out. Drinking damnation unto myself. Back to the dictionary in our hearts. We read that word, drinking damnation to ourselves. Just be honest. Immediately, you think that means God's the one going to bring you damnation. But it doesn't say that anywhere in there. But we just read it right in there. Because death has tried to give a testimony of God too doesn't just accuse us, it accuses God. Ezekiel, God speaking in Ezekiel, I think it's 36, says, I will sanctify my name. He talks about his name being blasphemed in the earth. Do you know how his name is blasphemed in the earth? The death in the earth blames him for it. Even in the States, we have it written in the insurance policies, an act of God. When Adam ate from the tree and brought death into the earth, and the serpent uncovered his nakedness, and God came and asked him if he ate from the tree. What did Adam do? Did Adam say, it's true, I ate from the tree. Look what I did. No, he said, it's that woman you gave me. <laughs> so he blamed God for giving him the woman. Well, it was not that long before that that he was like, he saw Eve and he was like, we will call her woman for she is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. Do you know what that means? It means he was filled with adoration. And so you, I guarantee you, he was real thankful for Eve then. Now all of a sudden, look what you did, God. <laughs> do, you, do you see what death does? It blames God. And the reason why the devil wants to accuse God is because if he can accuse God in our hearts, guess what we'll never do? We'll never trust him. And even believers who want so badly to trust him will believe things about God that will make it impossible for them to trust him. Impossible. Right? And so that's what Satan wants to do. In fact, that's what he did with Eve. He come and accused God to Eve. He says, did God really say that you can't eat from every tree? He wasn't questioning God's word. You, I know that's the easiest way for us to look at that. But when you look in the Hebrew at the sentence structure, what he was doing is saying, what kind of a God wouldn't let you eat from every tree? Look at him. He's keeping something back from you. He can't be the God that you need. He's not as he ought to be his father. He's a deadbeat dad. Only a good father would let you, if he was a good father, he'd let you eat from every tree. Now all of a sudden Eve's thinking, I can't trust this guy with my life. He can't be the father I need. And now she's left trying to father her own life. So for me right now, communion is a powerful thing in my life because I'm thinking about this, right? And it, it, it's health and healing for all of our flesh, right? It, it removes the fear and the stress. I think it's 1 John 3. He says something, somebody might be able to quote it more accurately. Um, Beloved, I pray that your health prospers even as your soul prospers. Even as your heart is kept from fear. I pray that even as your heart is kept from fear and that stress being removed and that burden being removed, you'll find your body even relaxing and functioning the way it's supposed to, right?
Yeah, if anybody wants to add to that, wants questions, or we could take communion, whatever you guys like. That's right. I like how you say that. Sit, eat, <laughs> right? And, and it fit. That's a beautiful picture because it fits with so many images. It's Psalm twenty-three. You prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. You're sitting and eating and having a meal. That's how safe you are. Yeah, that's 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 what communion. When you remember this, is is supposed to do for you, right? This truth will do this to you. We just haven't really fellowshiped around this truth very much, right? But God's changing all that. I'm not, I'm not smart. I don't know this because I'm smart. I know this because I hear the voice of God echoing in the earth, let my people go, just like he did in the Exodus. And God's like Popeye. You guys know who Popeye is? Yeah. Well, Popeye had this funny thing, I've had all I can stands, I can't stands no more, right? And I see the Holy Spirit moving in the earth to restore Jesus as the head of the body of Christ. He was always the head, but we've lost sight of what the body and blood is about. And I see God restoring it, right? And that's the only reason why I could even say this. It's not because I've studied real hard and diligently. And don't get me wrong, I love reading the scriptures, but I'm not smart enough to figure this out. So if, if you've had some calamity come upon your life, whether it be some sickness, whether it be some traumatic event, whether... It, it be in a relationship, whether it be something that's happened to you a long time ago. The reason why that has a hold on you is because it's convinced you that your life is one with it, that you're one with that, right? And what the, the body and blood of Jesus would do is it would come and tell you, you're not one with that. I gave my body to be broken so you could be divorced from the life that's born from the earth. And you're actually one with me in my indestructible life. And you start seeing yourself one with God who has a life that heals instead of one with death, trauma, tribulation, lack, suffering, pain, right? Mm
Yes. Right. This truth declares his death till he returns, Paul says. And it declares it to the messenger of death. Right? That's right, a party. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can feel real happy. It's the same red line as um, in Egypt. Yeah, it's throughout the whole scripture. I like how you say the red line. In the States, I call it the crimson cord, right? It runs, crimson cord, it runs through the whole scripture. Crimson is like a deep red, like a blood red, right? Crimson, it's a color. Yeah, and a cord is just like a string. Right? <clears throat> yeah. Just think of the Passover, right? The body and blood of Jesus was to cause death to pass over us. Death is always trying to tell us it's camped out over our house, it's in our house, right? And the body and blood of Jesus tells us that death cannot overcome our house. It tells us it can't overcome our life. And then that strengthens us. Right? But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. You know what that word wait means in the Hebrew? It doesn't mean to sit and wait like in a doctor's office. It, it means to be braided together. It means to be intertwined. It means for like your DNA to be intertwined with God's DNA. Those who are braided together with God's life will find their strength renewed. Because weakness comes from having a perishable life. Strength comes from having an incorruptible life. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. They shall mount up as, on wings as eagles. <laughs> and that's why the early church, you know, when you read the apostolic letters, it says they winked at death. It, it actually says they ran towards it. There's actual historical accounts of Roman citizens throwing themselves in the Colosseum because the Christians, when they were being martyred, were just filled with joy and laughing. And it wasn't by their willpower, right? It was the grace of the life of God. The grace of God is contained in His life. And that life is so strong, it will well up inside of you and it will keep you comforted from death. And that was a sign and a wonder. And it says they were perplexed. I have, um... Let there be light. Which, whichever you like. Um, I think you can do it. During the communion. Yeah, 
Yeah. I think that's good. Does everybody have a good image of what they're... Does everybody have a good idea for themselves personally what they're thinking of when they're taking communion based on what we talked about? You can see God standing in front of your face saying, this is my body broken for you, right? This is the blood that I shed so that I could dwell in you and keep your life from death. Something, anything along that line, right? That God's life is your life. This is God giving you his life. I'm partaking of his life, right? I'm partaking with him in his life. I think we do it uh, so often. Do you think? Everybody saying, uh, when you're speaking, I think we better get the, at the moment with God alone, and then okay. I do the song afterwards. Do you think so? Okay. I think the song's good because people can have a moment with their when it's real quiet, sometimes people are struggling to have a moment. And if there's some background noise, they might feel like people can't hear them or see them. It's like it's like a you know, there's another focus. That's right. Absolutely.